Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Connections. I'm Michelle Proust, and joining me today is a special guest substituting in for Lynette. My co-host today is... Margaret Pearson. And... Bonnie Richards. And we're recording Conversations on the Couch. Bonnie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super lucky enough that you are my neighbor and we get to see each other quite often. And I'm delighted for the rest of the war to get to know you a little bit. I'm excited to be here. And we just made the connection before the podcast started that today just happens to be Happy National Nurses Day. So Bonnie is a nurse and... Hooray, Bonnie! And all caregivers. All caregivers, all caregivers. So she's, you can't see her, but she's sitting here in her scrubs and she's as beautiful as ever. So, Bonnie, we're so excited to have you here. And Margaret, I'm so glad that you would come and join in. It was so fun last time. it, It seriously is so fun. So, Bonnie, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are not, you haven't been in the ward much longer than I have. Maybe was it a about year? A year. About yeah. a year. We'll have okay. Three years in August. So I think that's great. Just tell us a little bit about your family and what brought you to this area, and just yeah, just a little bit about you that we can connect well, with. After listening to your podcast, we are, have very similar backgrounds and you know stories as far as growing up and meeting our spouse. So it's it, you'll see some parallels, um, which makes our friendship that much much fun, more fun. Um, I grew up actually in Payson. I was born in Payson. And when I was 12, my parents moved to American Fork. And I grew up south, kind of like the south end, and, you know, went to junior high. And there was a devilishly handsome young man there (laughs) that I never knew until we got to high school. So Phil and I went to high school together. We both went to American Fork High. We met when we were 16. We kind of ran around in the same group. And I actually dated his buddy. So we didn't date in high school, which is probably best because if we would have dated, I probably would have broke up with him because he didn't call me one weekend and was studying or something. So it was it was really good. I actually dated, I told you I dated his buddy, who was one of the only non-members at American Fork High School. And I remember my dad saying to me, like, are you even kidding me? Like, there's only like four or five kids that aren't members and you have to choose one of them. <laughs> but it was a really great experience because he ended up taking the discussions at my house and, you know, was just kind of a better member than most. But Phil and I had the chance to talk many times, you know, about this guy I'd been seeing and had like spiritual conversations and we just had a really good friendship. And he sat by me on football games because Phil was a swimmer. And so we had a really, really good friendship. And then he graduated a year before I did and went up to the University of Utah um, studying electrical engineering. And I worked for a little while and then I actually went to Florida for two years of college. I kind of had this feeling that if I stayed in Utah, that I was going to get married at 19 and never go anywhere or ever do anything. And not that that is a bad thing, but for me, I had this feeling that my mom got married at 19 and never went anywhere and never did anything. And and I don't want that to sound like a bad thing, but for me, I just, I wanted something else. I wanted an experience. I wanted some life besides Utah County. So I went to two years of school in Florida, the Panhandle, and I actually got a scholarship out there um, for speech and debate, which is what I did in high school. So I was 
I had this this fantasy of one day becoming a broadcaster on the news, and I was going to do the news. I love that. And that was what my scholarship was, and that's where I felt like my talents lied. And you know, I could present things and talk about anything to anyone. And so I was in school for two years. I was studying mass communications, and. I actually was dating a guy in the military for a little while and kept thinking, like, what if this works out? What am I going to do? Those jobs just don't crop up anywhere. And it was kind of a, a really pivotal time in my life. And I remember reading, it was the weirdest thing, and I've never done this before, and I've never done it since, but I opened up the Relief Society manual. Do you remember when you used to have those? <laughs> oh, like, I remember when you had a Relief Society <laughs> manual? And I opened it. And it literally started talking about nursing in the home and how like just it was an important thing to, to know and what to do and, and just to have like basic knowledge that you could use at any given point in time. And you never know like when you're going to have to help take care of people. And anyway, it just really hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I'd already been out there for two years and I was kind of trying to figure out what to do with my life. So I ended up moving back to Utah and he wasn't quite to the point where he was giving me a reason to stay. And so I moved back, and this was summer of 98, and met up with my, my husband now because I got a job at a cardiology clinic. I was taking my prerequisite classes for nursing, and I thought, well, I may as well get some experience in the field. So I started working at the cardiology clinic right across from Utah Valley, and my brother-in-law has a congenital heart defect. And he was in the MTC about to go to California on his mission, and he was just having significant chest pain. And, you know, they did his mission physical, and they said, all right, you're good, but if anything changes, let us know. And he'd had open-heart surgery as a baby, and they just watched him, watched him, watched him, and it started flaring up. And so they came back in, and so Phil's mom and brother come into this clinic. I've been working there a week, and I haven't even established, like, a friend group yet or my life back in, in Utah County. And Phil's mom and brother walk in, and I just immediately recognized him as Phil's brother and his mom. I'd been over there several times, and she said, oh, I know you, you know, and, and we started talking, and, and she said, what are you doing? And I told him that I just moved back to Utah, and I was taking some classes and trying to apply to a nursing program, and she says, well, Phil's not dating anybody at the U that I like, so I'm going to have him call you. <laughs> I love That it. makes me feel so much better because I've actually been wondering lately, and like, is it a weird mom thing? To no. try to hook up your children? No, I can we believe just say no, it's like, a smart mom way, thing. Way in that? Okay, so, okay, so it's a smart mom thing. Okay, so she said, "Can I have your number and I'll give it to Phil and have him call you?" And I so love it. he had been seeing somebody that he was trying to get rid of and just kind of felt like, ah, oh, she's not the one. And so it really came at a good time. And so he got my phone number and he he tells it like this: he had my phone number in one hand and hers in the other, and he kind of says like. Hmm, you know, and this is kind of a one of those moments where if you're ever teaching a young women's lesson, you know, you always want to know that people will remember you. You know, and he had a real choice right then. Did I leave an impression from my years of knowing him in high school that he wanted to call me? Or did he think back and wow, she wasn't really the kind of girl I'd want to go out with, you know? So it kind of was hopefully worked in my favor that he made that choice and wanted to call me. Powerful. So he called me. This was, I want to say, mid to late August and said, hey, let's let's do something. So we got together and, you know, we hung out the first time. And I will forever think of that evening as just 
putting on a pair of pants that fit you know that's sweet and 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 they make you look good and they're comfortable and they just fit you know it was like no time at all had passed we stayed up way too late talking about everything we'd been doing the last couple years and do you remember so and so and what are they doing and you know it was just it was really easy to just slip right back into our friendship that Mm. we'd had and and I still to this day think of him as that comfy pair of pants that fits you know he just he just fits like he is everything, you know, to me. So anyway, we, we started dating in August and we were engaged by November and we only saw each other maybe twice a week, but we made it count. And this was when they were doing uh, construction on I-15 for the 2002 mm. Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be on the freeway by 10 o'clock at night or else you had to take State Street. And there was no way I was on the freeway by 10 o'clock at night or he was on the freeway because that was like prime time to date. So there was a lot of late nights of State Street mm-hmm. stopping at all those stoplights. But anyway, it was it was a great time dating and being engaged. And we got married May 15th, 1999. Oh so our anniversary is next weekend and we'll have 22 years together. Super cool. So when we got married, we moved to Davis County and we lived in Bountiful for six years. We we were in the canyon for the first three, renting a cutest little place that we absolutely loved. And we only moved out the week that Sadie was born. We were building a house and it got done the same week she was born. And I remember they called us when we were on our way to the hospital and said, you know, everything's cleared. You can come and pick up your keys. And Phil's like, well, we'll come in a few days. We've got a lot going on right now. And they couldn't believe. They're like, what is more important than picking up keys to your new house? So we had to just figure that one out. So Sadie and Matthew were both born while we were in Davis County. And that was, Sadie was born in 2002 in July, and Matthew was February of 2005. And then um, I went to school at Weber State. I did a nursing program up there, and Phil did a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a master's while we were in Davis County, and he worked at L3 Communications. And then... When he, Matthew was, I'm trying to think, we were only in our house maybe a year that we had built and Phil said he wanted to go out of state to get an MBA. And I remember I cried. I was like, what? <laughs> we just built this house. We just made memories. Like, I haven't even finished decorating it yet. Like, why would you do this to me? Like, we we haven't even put in our yard. Like, you spend all your money to get into the house, and then you mm-hmm. think, okay, we'll do the yard, and we'll do the basement. And he literally, a year later, is like, so I've been thinking that I want to get an MBA, and I, I really want to try for a top program. What do you think about that? So I told him to wait another year, and I wanted to have another baby first because I wanted to do it here with my doctors, and then I would support him in it. So when Matthew was three weeks old, and he was born a little bit early, we found out that he got into this program in Boston, and we moved when Matthew was three months old. So it was a tumultuous <laughs> couple of months where he was working every day to you know get as much money as he could, and I was dealing with, you know, a newborn and not a lot of sleep and a toddler and getting our house ready to sell and then the showings. And then we had to fly out to find an apartment and just basically transition from a four-bedroom home to a two-bedroom apartment. And we paid about twice as much for that apartment Mm. as we did our four-bedroom home. And, you know, we sold a car, we put stuff in storage. And, you know, so that I still think to this day that move from Bountiful to Boston was probably 
our one of our biggest just life changing moves. You know, yeah, we, I, I think about things <clears throat> like that, and I hope for those experiences for mm-hmm. my children. Oh and yeah, you, Margaret, you've probably yeah. seen your children go through a lot of that. I think oh, yeah. that's kind of when the rubber hits the road and the marriage starts. Yeah, you have to kind of figure it out. It's like I don't have my mom and dad anymore. I've got to work this out with my companion and we feel very different about this and it's scary and you have to start really relying on each other. And it was amazing because I really felt like it was him, me, our kids. I I don't want to say against the world, but kind of like Mm -hmm. we, you really Mm -hmm. become your own team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his folks actually moved out of state in 2002. So right about the time that, that Sadie was born, his parents left. He, my father-in-law was a director of information systems at Geneva Steel. And so when Geneva went down, he ended up taking another job at a steel plant in Kentucky. And so all my in-laws are now gone, you know, because Phil's the second and his family and his other brothers had gone off to grad school and done other things. And I had some family here, but we were two counties away. So we saw them, but not as much as you would. So, it, But it really was a very growing time. You needed each other a little more. And Phil had a program where he was actually doing two master's degrees in two years, but it had a six-month internship. So it started in the summer. So you did summer, fall, spring, internship, and then spring. So the coursework was over four semesters, and it was very, very hard. It was 12-hour days every day, and I had two little kids, and we lived in this apartment where... I, it was we didn't get student housing, and so we we lived off campus. And I was very cognizant of the fact that we were like one of two families. And if our kids made noise, were they going to terminate our lease? And so I was trying so hard not to let Matthew cry or the kids be loud. And and it was a hard time. I'm not going to lie; like it was a little bit hard for me because I would not let my son cry at night. And he and Sadie had to share a room because you know all we could have is a two bedroom. And so he became a very light sleeper and would wake up or I would wake up over every little Mm -hmm. thing. And I remember just kind of feeling like I've got to get some good sleep. I've got, you know, my husband's gone all the time and I can't really have that freedom that I would if I had my own home. And it took about nine months to finally get him to sleeping better. And so that first year we were there, I was, well, maybe six months. It was, it was a hard time. And I remember feeling like, you know, I'm not doing a lot of the things that I want to be doing. I'm doing the things that I have to do and just kind of trying to survive. And, you know, you're away from home and I wasn't meeting a lot of people as, as quickly as I would have. And so it take a lot of growth, you know, just just growth and kind of digging deep and, and, and learning where to pull your strength from. And, and it doesn't, you know, once you re- just, it, I think it was just hard for me because if I said this is hard, then I wasn't being supportive. And I finally kind of broke down one day and, and it was just the weirdest thing. And I just finally said, this is hard for me. I'm in this two bedroom apartment with little kids in this cold place mm-hmm. and you're gone all the time. This is hard for me. But I was still supportive. I was just mm-hmm. acknowledging and kind of validating my feelings. And once I finally just outed that, it was the most like, I don't even want to say magical, but it was like okay, now we can deal with that. Like, I didn't even know. Yeah. So I ended up taking these culinary classes and it was too expensive and I probably shouldn't have spent money so freely when we were living off of student loans, but it's what I needed at the time. And so we basically said Friday nights over the course of a, you know, six or eight week period of time, I went and took culinary classes at the 
Cambridge Culinary School. And it was just, I, I got to just be me and do something for me instead of, and I felt a little selfish about it, but I think you get to the point where you need you need to have something for you. Adult conversation. Yes. And oh, so, yes. And it was freeing. And it was just, I don't know, I, I learned how to kind of just be my own person too and not just do everything for everyone and, and make it all happen. So anyway, we got through that first year and had a internship in Tampa. So this was the summer of 2006. And we we just got assigned. It was it was the closest thing to going on a mission that I've experienced, where someone tells you where you're going to go and where you're going to be living for the next period of time. So he got his internship um, to a company in Tampa, and we went down there. He went down there to find an apartment for us, and we got there. And I said, "Let's go get our Florida ID cards as soon as we can, so we can get Disney passes." And there <laughs> you go. And, uh, and we we didn't even really meet people in our apartment complex, you know, occasionally at the pool or something. But every moment that he wasn't doing his internship, we went to one of those parks, you know, Bush Gardens and SeaWorld and Disney or the beach. And I will always look back at my time in Tampa with just the fondest of memories because it was just like the six-month vacation. And our kids were still so little, they weren't in school. And so I could just take them and go and do anything. And, and the weather was fantastic. So except for the thunderstorms, the only way to describe the thunder and lightning storms there is violent. Like I've more than once thought, oh, this is the second coming. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like I was like, okay, more than, Boston. more than Boston. Oh, the thunder and lightning. Absolutely. The, the weather was cold and, and, you know, definitely gray and miserable in Boston, but the thunder and lightning just in the afternoons, the humidity would build and it would just pour and it would shake your, your place. Like mm. the heavens were opening and somebody was coming down here before too long. So yeah, Tampa had some pretty, and we were um, in St. Peter's so you have an ocean on one side and a bay on the other. And if the storm came in, you were getting hammered no matter what. So we did have some some extreme weather. We did have a hurricane while we were there. And, a, and it, you know, they're kind of exciting, but you go inland. And then we moved back to Boston in January. And I still maintain that that is one of the hardest things I've ever done, is move from, from Tampa to Boston in January. And I didn't want to go. I remember telling him, like, why don't you just go get a roommate and I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> like military people exactly. do it all the time. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. I can relate with you on that because yeah. we went from the Midwest to from Wisconsin to Houston. Yeah. And I and it was like, you know, like a 120 in Houston. And it was, you know, compared to the temperatures we had in Wisconsin were like negative 20. I mean, it was like yeah. That was us. Not we, only the culture, but just everything about it was just so on its ear, so upside down, so completely different. Yeah, I dropped 80 it's degrees tough. in that move. We went from 85 to 80. Yeah. And we we were, he was driving our moving truck, the U-Haul, and I was we only had one car. And I was going to go to Orlando and put it on the auto train, which they have this cool little thing where you can load up your car and they drive oh, yeah. it and then you sit in those really comfortable chairs. And that was going to D.C. So I was going to meet him in D.C. and he would we would kind of caravan to Boston after that. So he said, you don't have to drive with the two little kids. So I get to Orlando 
And he'd made all the reservations. And I get there and they said, you don't have a ticket to D.C. from Orlando. You have a ticket from, wait, you don't have a ticket from Orlando to D.C. You have a ticket from D.C. to Orlando. Like he had booked it the wrong way. So meaning that Orlando was my destination. And I was like, okay, so let I'll park and I'll come in and talk to the ticket agent. And I was very... I'm homeless now. Like our entire apartment is packed up and in a moving van. And I've got these two little kids and I'm kind of trying to figure out how this is going to happen. And in the back of your mind, you're like, there is no way that this isn't going to cost me several hundred dollars to get this changed. So I called him and I was like, I do not know how this is going to go, but it is not good. And you booked the wrong ticket. I have to go talk to him. I'll see you later. And so he was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. So I get in there, and they said, oh, okay, we definitely have room because it's January. Everyone's coming south. Nobody's going north. So we can get you on the train, no problem. And it looks like the ticket's about $100 cheaper, so we'll give you that refund. Nice. Yeah, I did not tell Phil about that refund for quite some time. Because <laughs> that- <laughs> what did like, you do with the $100? I, we'll never tell. No. <laughs> so anyway, we got back to Boston, and he was interviewing for jobs and that last semester um it was it was a great opportunity you know he'd met a lot of people we made lifelong friends there and i think that last semester there i really learned how to enjoy the city instead of feeling like oh we're our student loan budget let's not do anything let's not be and and matthew was older and and i i really enjoyed our last semester a lot better than our first year i i felt like we're only here for a little while. And so I really look back on that last semester with a lot of fond memories. And, you know, the the restaurants and just it just we we lived in student housing and we made more friends and they were they were in the same stage of life we were in. I didn't feel like I had to tiptoe around, you know. So it was that last semester was very, very enjoyable. And so we were interviewing for jobs and I told him half I drew a line halfway across the United States and I pointed to the southern half and I said, We are going south. Like, I really need warmer weather if that's possible. So we ended up taking a job in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so we moved there in July of 2007. And it was was amazing. He worked for Bank of America. My two little kids were born there. So I have two little Southern babies, um, Elisa and Ben. Elisa was born in July of 2008, so just about a year after we moved there. And then Benjamin was August of 2011. And we loved, loved, loved our years in Charlotte. The, you know, it is green. It is friendly. People, I, I, I joke that everyone wants to talk about Jesus. And, you know, on the street corner, at the grocery store, people are just, they love Jesus. And they love being friendly. And and Phil doesn't go to the store very often with me, and he's always just kind of been busy, so I did that. Well, we went to the store one time after a date was about ending, and we were going home, and I, it was a Saturday evening. I said, I just need a, two or three things for dinner tomorrow. Let's stop at the store and, and grab them. Well, the lady at the grocery store looks at me, and she says... She had all these pet names. They were always like, hey, honey pumpkin, sweetie pie. Oh, I love that. Look at your pocketbook. It's so cute. You know, and they've got their real deep southern accent. And she says, now, how's Sadie? You know, and they're drawing out their their vowels. I want that so bad. And and I said, you know, she's good. And she's, what is she into now? And they're talking to me. So as we finish, because it's a pretty short visit, we only have two things. My husband says to me on the way out, he says, 
where do we know this lady from? Like, is she from school? Is she, you know... She's from the South. Is she... Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) He says, is she from church? Is she from the neighborhood? He's like, how do we know her? And I said, oh, Phil, we just know her from here. (laughs) He's like, the checkers know our kids' names. I said, you better believe it. Because if they've been in line with me before, they will ask and they will remember and they will talk to you about them every chance they get. How many years were you in... We were there North Carolina. Five years, 2007 to 2012. And five years, yeah. and important years, too. Five years, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Sadie was five, just starting kindergarten, and was 10 when we left. And, you know, they're, they're good years. You know, two babies were brought home to that house. And, you know, Charlotte will always have just a big piece of my heart. Because up to that point, that's the longest we'd ever had an address. Because we, you know, we were in Bountiful six years, but it was, you know, three in one place, three in another. And then Boston, it was one apartment for a year, Tampa for six months, one apartment for six months. And so we kind of felt like we'd wandered around a bit, but that was stable. You know, we really, we built that, we bought a new home. And so every, you know, ning, ding in the wall or something, that was us. You know, that, that was our, our little damage to the house and our growth. And so it was a great place to live. And, and I was sad to leave. I really was. Um, Phil got recruited to work for one of the bank's customers. And they kind of said, come work for us, come work for us. And then they bought a company out in Southern California and said, we want you to go out and, and run this, this group out there. And Southern California, um, you know, it's a great place to visit, but I just wasn't sure I was going to live there. <laughs> but I You're also... You're talking to a California yes, girl. California. I know, and I embraced it. I absolutely embraced it. Yeah. So, you know, I've always felt like happy people will be happy anywhere. And so we... Amen. Uh, that makes me think of something, though. Like, as we talk, you know, what you just said, I think it takes... Wouldn't you say at least a couple years living somewhere? Oh, at least, yes. if not three years, to, to kind of to feel, feel like yes, this is home. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I felt like Florida was home when I was only there for two years. And but you've you gone think, to Margaret, school you've there. You've moved a lot too. Like, what do you think? Well, it definitely takes at least a year to get your home unpacked. And definitely. of course, my homes were smaller then, and you know, my apartment certainly it was like two days and you're unpacked. But yeah, until you really have memories there and you meet people and you feel like you know the shortcuts everywhere or the good places to eat. So yeah, I, I wasn't quite ready. I I would have honestly, I would have lived there my whole life. I would have made Charlotte my forever. I was not looking to leave. And, you know, it's it's humid, but that's really the only thing that I could say bad about it. You know, it. I love my years in Charlotte. And who knows, maybe we'll retire there and I'll go back. Mm. Yeah, I, I would love it. But I also have loved everywhere I've lived, with the exception of winters in Boston. Those are not my yeah, favorite. What were, you, what were your impressions of Cal- Southern California before so, you went to visit? I what were you that, thinking? I was thinking that it was going to be much more... Like you see in the movies, you know. Yeah, because you're from Pace and be honest. Like, well, what did from, you think Southern? I didn't grow <laughs> Southern California gonna was going to be American like. Fork is my home. <laughs> it's Pace grown and, a lot Pace since I was in there. the 1978 <laughs> yeah. or whenever yeah. you were born. It 76. 76. Yes. It, that so was teeny it, we tiny. had a McDonald's and All like right. one stoplight. All right. <laughs> now that it's got the temple, it's like a destination. But mm. so now I really felt like Southern California was going to be a lot more. 
just, you know, keep up with the Joneses and plastic surgery and just, you know, like, am I going to fit in there? Am I going to be the type of person that is going to, you know, have good friends? Or are they just going to be, I don't know. And you definitely do see that, but there are very real people there and very good people there. And, you know, we, it was the right thing for Phil's career. So we moved and we got a home in a very lovely area in Stevenson Ranch, which is in Santa Clarita. So it's north of LA, about 40 miles and east of the ocean. So we could get out to Ventura. That was kind of our closest beach in about 40 minutes. So it was it was really a nice time to be out there because the members of the church are a lot, there's a lot more of them. And so with Sadie mm-hmm. getting to young women age and going through some of those formative years, it was really nice to have more members and be surrounded by a little more liberal crowd. And I don't say that and think, oh, I'm... I I mean that California is accepting of everyone, right? And in the South, there was some prejudices. And, you know, Mm. members of the church there aren't always looked at as Christian. And so when you're talking to people, it's, you're trying to tell them like, oh yeah, like we have all this in common. We have, you know, when you're talking to people, evangelicals in the South and, and they don't always buy it because we have our own scriptures. And so, Mm, you know, people mm. in California and people in Boston, they're just like, oh, great, you're Mormon, that's great. Oh, you're this, that's great. Like they're kind of, you know, liberal to a fault, but at least they were accepting of us and we (laughs) didn't have any problems feeling like, you know, we didn't fit in somewhere. So we were there 2012 to 2018 and, you know, just have nothing but good things to say about it, except for, you know, the traffic and, you know, the taxes and all that. But we really grew to love our years there also. And, you know, you really can't beat the weather. It was, it was a really fun place to live. And it, you know, we were, we've been sad every time we've left anywhere. And, and that's just how it is. Um, But I wanted to mention something, and you and I actually talked about this a while ago, when, when Phil and I were first married, we were in this little place up in the Canyon of Bountiful. And I remember thinking, we'd been married a couple of months. You know, I, I told him, I says, I can't wait until we have our own place, you know, like our own house. And I can't wait until you're done with school and we can, you know, have enough money to do all the decorating that I want or all the traveling that I want. And I can't wait till we have kids and then we can, you know, just feel like we have this perfect little life. And I can't wait until this and that and this. And I literally, in the course of a conversation, uh, wasted or wished away about 20 years. Like, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. And and my husband is wise in everything that he said. Well, mostly everything he says. <laughs> but he said to me, it kind of stopped me in that moment. And he said, and then you were going to wish you were right back to where you were. And you had your health and you had your freedom and you had your whatever. He said, you just have to learn to be happy in the moment where you are or you'll never be happy. You mm-hmm. will just always be chasing it. And, you know, of course, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And, and I didn't really see the wisdom in it until later. But how often have you thought, you know, oh, I wish my kids were out of this stage so it would just be easier. And then as soon as they're out of that stage, it's just something else that's hard or something else. Mm-hmm. And so I have just really tried from that moment. Yes, there have been times that are hard. And I totally get that. But happy people will be happy anywhere. In any stage of life, in that needs any to be location, in, <laughs> oh. in a little apartment, in a cold winter while you're trying to figure out what to do with kids. And every time you go to the subway, the elevator's broken and you're like, curse you, Boston. No, just kidding. <laughs> with this double stroller. But I just, I had to f- 
figure out that, you know, happiness was your mentality. It's not a destination, you know? And it's just like mm-hmm. that quote from President Hinckley or, or was it Marjorie Hinckley? Sorry, that, um, you know, it's, you got to learn to enjoy the journey. And, mm-hmm. and so I've really tried to live by that. Can you say that again, Bonnie? Happiness is where you are. Or just happy people will be happy anywhere. But what you just said, just there. And that it's a, it's a mentality. It's a mentality. It's not a destination. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a destination. It's a mentality. That is so profound. And it I've seen people. Is. I really have. And I know people quite well that keep chasing it. Like if Mm -hmm. we buy this boat or if I have this thing in my life, then I'll finally get it. Mm -hmm. Then I'll finally be there. I'm trying to remember. um, It it reminds me of this principle that we studied in MBA school. And for whatever reason, it's completely blanking on the name of it. But basically this this principle, this book, this that later came to be is based on a man that was a prisoner of war for many years, like many years. And obviously he survived it. And then he was a very famous person and was interviewed quite a bit and ended up writing a book. But the gist of this was, they would say, how did you survive it when all of your cellmates died? You know, one Mm -hmm. by one, these people, it didn't really matter it, it wasn't exactly just about like who was the strongest and the fittest and, and so on and so forth. But, but they said, how did, how did you do it? How did you go through everything you went through? And he said exactly that. <clears throat> I'll have to look it up. I cannot remember what. It's not as a man thinketh, no, is no, it? No, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out what it is. But, but basically he said, I had to make my mind up when I woke up in the morning that it did not matter if I got out if that, that was the day yeah. that I was set free from my hardships, from the place I was, it didn't matter if that day I got to see my family again. He said, what mattered to me was that I chose yeah. to live and that I made the decision to be happy no matter what. And, and so he talks about that. He said, contrasting to the other people that were in the war camp with him, they would say, okay, okay, I can do this and I can endure. And then they would set a deadline until February. And then February, for sure, I'll be out. And so they would set a milestone that they really didn't even have control over. And then February would come and go and they would basically just give up and die of heartbreak. You know, their, their body would start to take on illness and, and mm-hmm. all these other things. So the whole, this effect, I can't remember what it's called, but he, he just says, you know, it's not about, I, I'll be happy when, yeah. like you're saying, you don't say I'll be happy when, but it's, it really is about just being present. Yeah. And, and he said the other thing that was definitely a factor in keeping him alive through all of those yard, uh, years that were so hard was that he helped other people. Oh, absolutely. He said, I helped other people. I, I tried not to think of myself and my own suffering. I looked for opportunities to be part of other people's lives. And I just didn't care. I, of course he cared, but I wasn't fixated on when will I yeah. be released or even if I will be released. He's like, I knew I couldn't do anything about it except choose how I would be well, in the day, in the moment, in the present. 
you know. There's a, a famous quote, and I want to say it's Abraham Lincoln, that says people are about as happy as they make their mind up to be. Mm-hmm. And and that's a powerful statement. And I agree with you on serving other people because, you know, when you are thinking about you and your hardships and your struggles, however big or small they are, it's a very selfish attitude, right? You're thinking about all the things that you don't have or you want and it's not happening or anyway, when when you put those aside even for short periods of time and think about others, I genuinely believe it blesses not only them but you and it just you put those aside. And I know it's hard if you have physical, you know, you're you're feeling sick or you're feeling something, it's hard to put those aside, but whenever you can, it really does help. So, that was something that I thought about earlier. But we we left California in 2018 and came here really on a very quick, it was start to finish six weeks. And we had been talking about moving and thinking about it because my husband has always had, you know, kind of had this mentality that he wanted to start a business. And California has many things going for it, but has many things going against it. And if you are a business owner, it's it's difficult. And so he wanted to leave and we, you know, financially, it was a better option for us to come here to to have a business and to live, you know, lowering our cost of living. So we had been vacationing in Zions and we were driving up to Utah County to take Sadie, my oldest daughter, to lacrosse camp at BYU. And it was the end of June for that week that she was to be here. And so my cousin is a realtor and I just kind of had been looking around on either Trulia or Zillow. And I said, Hey, why don't you show me some houses while we're there? Let me just look at a few. And so she sent me this listing right here and and I showed my husband and I said, Ooh, I really like this house. And so after we dropped off my daughter, we came up and we looked at this house, just the two of us. This house in my the house, loop? Bonnie? My house yeah. that we're living in now. And I, I told him, I said, well, that's it. That's our house. And he's like, don't go falling in love with the first one. We have, you know, 10 others to see. <gasps> but I just, I've moved a fair amount. And I just know when you walk in, there's a feeling. And you just kind of mm-hmm. know, like, this is my house. And so we, we... We looked at a couple others, or it was probably 10, because that was back when like houses were on the market. Oh, boy, no <laughs> And you could choose, Longer you know. Longer than 24 hours. <laughs> so we looked at 10 or 12 houses over that weekend, and we came back and we showed the kids this one. And I think we even came back a third time. Like, it was really funny. We came back several times in the course of two or three days. And we put in an offer. We hadn't done anything to sell our other house. We just said, all right, well, let's see how this goes. And so they accepted our offer, and we said, all right, we got to hurry up and sell our house. So we listed our house in California and got multiple offers and they ended up getting in a bidding war. So it worked out, but we, it was literally the beginning of July and we moved in on like August 16th. So it was really quick. And, you know, we just, we didn't even tell people that we were moving until we put our house on the market. So start to like, we told people about a month before we actually left. And I still think some people were like, that wasn't nice. But we came here. Um, and my, what, what, one of the funnest things about coming back, having grown up here and gone to high school here is this art house is in American Fork High's boundaries. And so my kids get to go to our old high oh. school. So and you know sit in those stadium the seats at the stadium and watch my daughter play on the football field where 
my husband and I sat and watched games when we were in high school. It was really cool. She's getting misty, girls. I know. Mm. And actually, my mother-in-law went to American Fork, too. So having lived in five states and then to come back where it all started is really fun. Mm. So, yay, there's my, my emotion for you. But it's just neat. It's neat to have history. It's neat to have... You know, my kids going to my old school and t- to tell them what we used to do and, and to have that. It just feels like they're part of it now. They're part of our history, you know, and so it's really fun. But we, we came back and my, my kids have really thrived, you know, when it, the first little while, you know, Matthew was still trying to meet his friends and kind of figure it out and just absolutely is part of the best group of friends that you could imagine. And Sadie's got just a really great group of friends too. And then Elisa and Ben, of course, they're a little younger, but they're doing well. And my oldest daughter um, sit, spent a year at BYU, just got a mission call to Riverside, California. So she is going back to not where we lived, but it's about 85 miles from where we lived. And she will be Spanish-speaking um, and she will go July 13th. So I'm over the moon that she's going there. And, you know, the rest of the kids are really doing well. And if you don't know who I am and you're listening to this, I guarantee you, you've seen me walking around the park, the pond, or the trail with my big yellow Labrador named Roxy. So that's that's my other kid I got to throw in there just for honorable mention because she really is just the best dog. So She is the best dog. She, she helped me get over my fear of big dogs. <laughs> oh, she I just loved me. She's a sweetheart. She is just she ran into my garage one day and I was scared for about 2 minutes and then she just wagged her tail and it was love. I think you had just moved so in sweet. and I was just trying to meet in. you yep. and welcome you to the yes. neighborhood and Roxy wanted to meet you. Yep. She so did. She is a very, very sweet girl. Bonnie's gift is welcoming people. Oh, I was just <laughs> thinking that. I making was them remembering feel when we like moved they into. know her, mm-hmm. and she's going to be their best friend. And she and her daughter, Sadie, mm-hmm. were my first, oh, good grief, ministering sisters. I wanted to say visiting teachers. You mm-hmm. know I we do. We all know. We're grandfathered yeah. in to yeah. call it that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was just so sweet and so precious the welcoming and you know what bonnie i think i mean that is part of your personality you are a very very kind person but going back to kind of where it started where phil was like you know you know you're in this brand new house and everything and you're thinking i'm setting roots and we're gonna live this dream and then you end up i mean who would have thought you know from here to there to there to there to here to there and everywhere in between you know but those experiences you know, now that you're you're in this ward again, you you see people that need to be welcomed. You know what it feels like to be new. You know what it feels like to move. You know all of those things. So that has greatly, obviously greatly blessed your life and your family's lives. Well, and I wonder too, if that was one of the reasons that I was motivated to move away for college, because mm-hmm. I know that you can learn to love another place very easily. How did you know there. that, Bonnie? How did you know that? I didn't that? know that until I got there. You know, I just wanted an adventure. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the beach. And there, to me, the panhandle of Florida is probably the most beautiful and kind of undiscovered gem. But, and I, we did have some family out there, so I wasn't alone. But I, once I got there and I just started meeting people and becoming part of it, I just knew, like, you, it just fit. 
you know, you, you can learn to love any place like home. I have a question for you, Bonnie. You Mm -hmm. got to know, you just, just what you just said. How did you think about the mechanics of that? How did you um, initiate yourself into a brand new area, different culture, especially going from Utah to Boston? Holy moly, that yeah. is mm-hmm. another about, country. It's well, a different it's about country. As opposite mm-hmm. as they you even can talk imagine. different. They have mm-hmm. their own language. Oh, when when my husband was in grad school there, there was a secretary for their department, and she's the one who gave. They said the purse that she like is the one that was in charge of the financial aid, and. I remember her asking if anyone knew where her car keys were, but I thought she was saying khakis. She, I literally <laughs> khakis? thought she was talking where about pants. And she's like, anyone see my khakis? My khakis are gone. And I was like, you lost your pants? <laughs> so it did take me a few months to figure out that they end uh, everything that's supposed to end with R is now an A. Yes. And then with an A, it's an R. Yep. So Linder has khakis. <laughs> <laughs> but we we actually really loved the Red Sox. They had just won the World Series, and mm-hmm. then they played again right after they we moved away. So they our bookends of living there. They were World Series champions, and it was very unfortunate that they played the Dodgers not too long ago because that's my other team that I actually will cheer for. But they just won the World Series too, so we're all good. You must be the lucky charm. I don't think. But so. how did you like you moved to these new areas and became a part of the community and part of that area? Think about how. What did you do? Think about the mechanics well, of that. And share a, that. Our our ward in Boston. I'm going to be honest with you. It was pretty easy to to get right in because most of them were students. Were grad it students. It was yeah. yeah, kind of a young married ward. And then there was mm-hmm. a handful of residents. But where we were didn't have a lot of like developed homes. It was very urban. And so I went from suburban, quiet streets, you know, up in like Woods Cross area to to a very urban style of living. So there was only a handful of people that were actually like residents that were living there for their whole life. The rest of it was pretty transient. And wow. so because of that, it's easy to to know that mm-hmm. you're away from your family, you're away from your comfort zone, and you really just kind of bond together because that's what you have. And then you have your handful of members that just live there and they were going to kind of be leadership positions. And, you know, there, there's a couple of people that I met there that will forever just, you know, kind of impact your life and just good, good. One guy, he was an African-American man, and he he was described as... There are workhorses and there are show horses, and he's the only one that's both. <laughs> like it was just he would just in like he was in the bishopric and he would wear a red suit and kind of an African tribal hat. Wow! Yes, and he told everyone it. to call Me him too. Jackson. He's like, I'm not Brother Jackson. Just call me Jackson. And he was a convert, and he had a very checkered life before he converted, and he didn't mind telling you about it. But he was one that you just never forget because he was so real. And I was like, I didn't know you could say things like that over the pulpit. Like, you can admit that you've done things like that. And, and he's like, that was another life. <laughs> he's like, and then I found <laughs> Jesus, you know, and, and he just talked about I that love transformation. That so much. So, Listen, yeah. if you wear a red suit and oh, a tribal and hat, you can say it. anything That's you exactly want. I know, right. seriously, he and the kids it. are paying attention, too. They're like, that is a cool guy. But, it, but very <laughs> eye-opening. And I think one of the other really eye-opening experiences for me when we lived in Boston is, and, and maybe I was a little naive when I grew up here, and you know my experiences in Florida and college were still pretty limited to my circle of friends that were close to my age, and I didn't know a lot of other people outside of the ward that were older. Um, 
but I learned a very valuable lesson that, you know, there are good people Mm -hmm. in all walks of life. And, you know, and we had good friends who, who, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. I remember thinking that, you know, if people weren't members of the church, you know, they weren't happy. They just didn't know they weren't happy. And, and that was a very mm-hmm. real thing for me to realize that, you know, we had dear friends who were Jewish and they were very devout. And when he got his internship, he said, I have to be close enough to a synagogue so that we can walk. You know, we don't use electricity and transportation, oh, all that wow. on the Sabbath. Or do they call it the Sabbath? I have to remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So they had to walk. Shabbat, and Shabbat, they were yeah. very happy because they were living the way they believed. And they had their relationship with God. And I believe that brought them happiness. Mm. And living the way that mm. you believe is a very powerful thing. And so to me, I I had this like realization because I'd become in contact with, you know, strong, educated, amazing people from all walks of life. There were there were people in my husband's program f- straight from Asia. They'd never been in the States before and they were trying to figure out they had culture shock. Wow. Oh, I yeah. I tried to invite oh. him over for brownies one time his study group and this poor gal, she could not eat it. She could not. And I make pretty good brownies. I'll tell you right now. I'll invite every single one of you over to try them. But Mm. she, it was so sweet. She could not eat it. Mm. And she was so sad. She felt like she was offending me because it was just not part of their their diet and their culture. But anyway, it was a a very good Mm. experience to realize that good people come in all forms. And, and for my kids to be raised, you know, in the South and then in Southern California, where, you know, my little Elisa, she's 12, almost 13 now, she has a dear friend that was telling her about Ramadan and how she celebrated and how she got up early before the sun so that they could eat because she wasn't going to eat or drink again for the rest of that day until the sun went down. And, you know, that, those are powerful things to learn about. And so for Elisa to say, you know, we do that too, but just once a month and, and to draw parallels that make you similar and, and to realize that we're more alike than we are different with a lot of these other, other faiths and people and that, you know, ultimately we're all really just hopefully trying to do what's, what we believe and be good people. So I love, love, love that my kids have learned some of those lessons. Bunny, it strikes me that you have said repeatedly, mm-hmm. there's good people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that you attract good people to you because mm-hmm. you're a good person. And you find what you're looking for. You know, there's that old story about the, mm-hmm. the bishop and a, a family comes to him. What kind of a ward is this? Or what kind of a town is mm-hmm. this? I can't remember. Help me out, girls. Um, and, well, what kind of a town did you come from? Well, people were grouchy and horrible and negative. <laughs> well, that's we got a lot of those here. And then another family comes to him and says, what kind of people are in this ward or in this town? And he said, oh, well, what kind of a place did you come from? Oh, it was so happy and warm and friendly. And, well, yeah, that's what kind of people we that's have true. here. And it strikes me in listening to your story of your travels that you always are surrounded by good people because you are a good person. You draw the same kind of people to you. Well, that's very and kind. And I'll build on that. I know you well enough to know that you find the good in people because your experiences 
with with coming outside of your comfort zone and being in a in a completely different demographic where you're surrounded with people of all different faiths, all different walks of life and going you don't have to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be happy. Like they have their their way of happiness and these people are good and this is you know, it just showed you that Heavenly Father's children are blessed mm-hmm. all over the all over the world, you know, and and there are there are so many great people and living their own, living their true selves. Does that make sense? I think just yeah. And then you come back and you have that with you. I don't think there's any other way to gain that, honestly, because I can speak from one who was raised. I was raised in the very same home my entire life. You don't hardly ever hear that anymore ever. But I was raised in the same spot my whole life. And so I didn't start having my experiences with getting to know different cultures and peoples and beliefs and all of that until I got married. And we spread our wings and we flew the coop and started doing our things. But you know, Bonnie will be walking the neighborhood and just visiting with everybody. She knows everyone. <laughs> Every- kids don't and want to go not with me like, anymore because oh, I take look too at long. them. They have, you know, they're not members or look at them. They have a tat or, you know, I'll see her, you know, visiting with everybody at the pond. And I think you have learned how to see the good in people. And because you, you know, you're such a, you are truly a good person. But so I, I think, how can we, how can we apply this to our ward? So being privy to some of the word councils and stuff and, you know, everybody takes turns with these callings where we get to kind of hear the, the inner workings of a ward. But I know that this ward has a lot of sisters that don't feel connected yet. So my question then is, what would you say to those sisters that are feeling like I'm not connected or I don't have any friends, or maybe this isn't a great word. Maybe what would be your counsel to those sisters and um, how to find their happy, how to make their now happy? Any thoughts come to mind? Well, the reality is there are are, a lot of people I'm sure feel like that. You know, a lot of people feel new and feel like they want to be part of something and they're not yet. And we're in a unique time where we aren't getting together nearly like we used to, to make memories and to build friendships. So A, you're not alone. I really feel like a lot of people feel like that. So just knowing that other people feel like you, I think is somewhat validating. Two, Christ knows your feelings. And I feel like you really do need to open up and speak your heart when you pray, because I think it's it just pour you when you pray like that. It's, I think sometimes you can get your own clarity and your own answers, but it just, it's like a friend. You're telling them how you feel and what you want. And then, kind of like when you talk to Phil, you're like, I just have to tell you. I know. I, this I, there, is hard. I, I just yeah. needed to tell you that. I just that. need to that tell you okay. right now. <laughs> Don't ever tell me anything that I can't right. tell my husband because I do. I will yeah. every day, Phil, this is what's going on. And, and he's just my best friend. So why wouldn't I? But I think praying really helps with that. And then it also allows you to to want an answer. You know, if you're praying, you're telling the Lord, you know, like I, I, I'm seeking something, right? Um, but the other thing too is you are in control of your own actions. And if you're wanting friends, if you're wanting to feel more a part of something, you have the ability to invite someone to go for a walk and to invite someone to 
do something with what comfort level you're comfortable with with these times right now, but you can take that into your own hands. You don't have to just mm-hmm. sit back and wait for it to come to you, which I think ultimately it will. But keep in mind, I think at any given point in time, somebody else is feeling like that. Mm-hmm. And so just go down the list of your neighbors or your the ward directory and say, we are going to have dessert at our house on Friday night or Saturday night. We would love to meet you guys and feel, you know, get to know you better. You know, would you like and to come Bonnie over? Does, and I'm going to tell tale right now. Bonnie's done that. She did mm-hmm. that for my daughter and her family. Mm-hmm. And I just love thought, there that. she goes again. <laughs> but that is something that you can, it, it's not like you're experiencing something that you have no control over. That mm-hmm. kind of like this poor man that you were talking about, like his fate was literally out of his hands. Now, even though I know at times I've convinced myself I'm very alone. Yep. I mean, that feeling is real. Totally we all real. feel yeah. like that. Um, but it is a feeling. Sometimes it's not a reality, Michelle. Yes. Yes. I love that. And, and for me, you talked about service. I'll tell you why service helps me. It's yes, I get warm fuzzies. But it's more than that for me. When I am serving, I'm going, oh, I'm not the only one that is feeling this way. Or Or, has needs. Or, yeah, oh, I'm not the only one that's had really hard experiences. Or, you know, you just, it's like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're able to go outside of your own perceived reality and see that other people behind their closed doors are not just like high fiving and partying all day long with this. You know what I'm saying? We can we can think all we Everyone want. Everyone has going magical on. lives, but me. <laughs> yes, we compare our worst self the to only their best one self. that cannot get out of bed today because I'm just so discouraged. Well, that's yeah. just not even true. And and that's for me. That's why serving is so powerful yeah. because I'm reminded that it goes clear back to the plan of salvation. It's like we we agreed to come down here mm-hmm. and have a hard time. So you better believe. That everybody is is dealing with their own rucksack. Everybody's got their burden on their back, mm-hmm. and um, and, and you're really talking about powerful tools. The a- a- the adversary, everything oh we just goodness. talked about. You're isolated. You're alone. Nobody understands you. Nobody wants to be your friend. All of those rhetoric things we let run through our mind that drag us into the pit of doom. Those are, that's him talking to you when you're listening to, and I'm guilty 125%. And it, it's so hard to sometimes be Peter sinking in the ocean and thrusting his hand up to the Lord and saying, save me. I'm sinking. I'm going down for the last time. But I just want everyone who's listening right now, Margaret Pearson, I'm the first house on the right. You just come and I'll make you some lemonade and fuss <laughs> over you and put you on my swing. I love it. Things will be better. My door is open. There you go. Uh, boy, I love that. And I told, and come in your pajamas. And I, don't I told care. Margaret, I said, I, I, for me, Michelle Prowse needs a Margaret that's someone who's a little bit older. I love that. I'm like, will you be my mom? You know, it's like that little book. Yes, Are you I will. my mom? And yes, I'm telling you, Margaret, yes, she will. She will put you on 100%. her screen. But let's do that for each other. Absolutely. Oh, that's you know? what women are so good at. They're we so, are so good at exactly. this. Exactly. We are nurturers. And Bonnie, you get yourself out there, you know, just by walking, 
Guys, get off your couch and, and go outside. that's what I was going to say. You'd be surprised. Just go outside. We'll come get you. You'd be surprised. It just, A, going for a walk is going to help you feel better. Because you did something that made your body a little bit healthier. So there's like, you know, you can talk about the chemical mm-hmm. reaction that happened in your brain mm-hmm. that will help you to feel better. One, you did something good. Two, fresh air and sunlight. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how beneficial mm-hmm. that is for a mood. Just getting outside and getting fresh air and sunlight. But chances are you're going to see somebody. Like just the other day, I was walking around the pond and I saw Gina Cox. And I said, I don't know you, but I think you're in my ward. Let me introduce myself. And she ended up walking with me for a couple of laps. And we had a great conversation. And so it's just one of those things that getting outside when the weather allows or your schedule allows, talking to people, it just ends up building beautiful friendships. Well, and then you feel connected and you feel more a part of something. And I think it's very helpful for women to feel like we mm-hmm. are part of something and that we're wanted and that we're, we belong. Well, and I think the Lord loves that. Yes. You know, there's a little meme that kind of floated around for a little while that was like, it was based on, I don't know if it was Elder Rasband, I have no idea, but it says the Lord loves effort. Yes. And so mm-hmm. so imagine, you know, we're in our private closets or we're having that day, we don't want to get out of bed. And our heart simply is just praying to Father saying, I feel really alone or you name it, you know, I can't keep on top of all the messes with these, my children are out of control, whatever you're thinking. But if we will put on those tennis shoes and just go outside the well, Lord is going to bring somebody else out well, of their bed. He's good at that. And, and they're going to go, I, I've been having a really bad day. And you'll say, I was too. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's like, I just, I just needed you to put on your shoes. Like sometimes we just have to get up. Yeah. We just have to get up and just go outside. Well, and there's you know? a quote too that I'm not very good at citing my sources today. I apologize for that, but I didn't know I was going to say it. So that said something like, pray like it's up to the Lord, but yes. work like it's up to you. Yep. Yes. And I love that idea because you 100%. do want to pray. You do want to put your faith out there, but then you do want to do something about it. Well, so and I Bonnie, like I don't want it to be lost. You were walking and Gina Cox, and what did you do? There, there are know. people, <laughs> more than a few, that that simple thing of, would you just say that again? You, what did you say when you walked up to I Gina? Think I just said something like, I think you're in my ward, inter- but yeah, I, don't, let me introduce I haven't myself. met you yet. Yeah. 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 Now, I, for introverts and shy people, that is having toenails pulled off. And I agree, that is hard, and I am not but, an introvert, so I can't relate to that. You know, how about saying... You know, I'm shy, but I think I know you in my ward. I mean, there's an immediate understanding and, I don't know, love vibe that comes when I was in a meeting recently with a group of women, and one of the sisters in this meeting opened her heart and just wept and is going through a hard time. And you know what? All of us in that room have reached out to her, and there was this immediate feeling of love, sisterhood. Oh, what can we do to help her? We want to cheer her up. We want to help. It it you bring so much embracing energy to yourself when you're willing to be real and and say your truth, which is, I I'm kind of shy. I don't know how to extend myself, 
but I think you're in my ward. But it needs to be your own verbiage. Bonnie is gifted this way. <laughs> it was um, my two years of studying mass communication. Yeah, there there, when I heard you work. say that, I well, no wonder. <laughs> She's had training. But everybody can do this. And just it starts with being authentic. Be well, transparent, so be authentic. There's so many good people in our mm. ward, and they have great stories oh. and lives that, you yeah. know, it's just, it's really neat to. You learn their history and and so like any chance you get to talk to people you're going to be better for it can i say something about age because oh, now i'm please. ripe this tomato is ripe <laughs> mm, and, i don't smell anything <laughs> <laughs> i you know what we first of all i'm shocked i'm this age and any of you who are in my boat you know what i mean we cannot let age become a barrier it's never i've always had older friends i've always had younger friends my parents used to think, think I was a weirdo, and they're probably right. But we can't let—I've heard sisters my age in the word say, I feel isolated mm. because it's, we have so many younger—the younger people in the ward are the busy ones with getting together and hiking mm. and Angie mm-hmm. cu- climbing Kilimanjaro. Um, but you know what? Age has nothing to do with it. Younger sisters need the older sisters, and older sisters need. We're just people. That Some is of us relief have society. More road you know, wear. that's it. That's relief society, though. It's like we all benefit from each other. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a reason that our ages are so mixed up in the relief society. Well, one of the reasons, and that I love that Margaret. Charlotte thank you. Was, I'm going to say it, and I don't want this to sound bad, but Charlotte was probably my favorite place we've lived. And, and I love every place I've lived, but if I had to rank them, and I think one of the reasons, because the ward dynamic was so bonded, we were the minority. We were, we were members of the church, and so in an area of a couple million people, there was two stakes. So we did not have a ton of members, and, and certainly people who had been there for a long time. It was you get a lot of transplants or people moving mm-hmm. in, but not born and bred members of the church in the South. You just don't have a lot of that, and so because of that, you were in the minority in your community and in your school, but you bonded together as a ward. It didn't matter if you were the same age. It didn't matter if your kids were the same age. It didn't matter if you had kids, if you were a newlywed or not married at all. Like you needed each other. You needed this strength and you needed that camaraderie. And when people would invite people over, it would be all types of people. It wasn't just the ones that lived right by you or the kids your same age. You, Because we were fewer in numbers, our bond was strong. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I missed that. It was really, really great. And so, and I feel like we're capable of that. You bond with the people that everyone because you need each other. You just don't know you need each other yet. So I don't know. That was one thing I really, I really loved about living there. Your daughter, Elisa, has that gift. She mm. doesn't see age. I mean, when I'm out walking, she mm-hmm. just comes up and gives me a big hug. And it could be you. It could, I mean, that that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that kind of was disjointed from what no, you just said. No, but not really. I, I, I think that's true. I think we're kind of like turning the wide drill, you know, kind of trying to dissect a little bit like, what can we do for our ward and what works and why does this work and what have you learned and what have we learned? Yes. And I think that's very appropriate. I think there's a lot of things that the listeners will take from this and hopefully inspiration mm-hmm. where they will recognize. Don't be isolated. Where they could, yeah. 
I don't have to be isolated. And what can I do? What's my role in yeah. helping to connect people? You know, what is it simply going outside for a walk and looking for somebody who's outside? Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but I remember one time, brother and sister Benyon, I didn't even know them from anybody oh, at this Richard. point. And they were laying in my flower bed, just pulling out the weeds, having a great time talking. <laughs> you know, what if we just kind of did that for each other? You know, just you do, you watch out for each other. And in the back of your mind, you just know it's okay if I don't know their name, I'm going to get there. Yeah, I'm going to learn their name, but it's okay if, if I feel uncomfortable right now. You know, give ourselves permission to go through the process of learning new people and learning a new ward, and it's going to take time. Let's give ourselves a year plus, you know, but there, the responsibility really lies on us. And every ward you move into is going to have people that you don't 100% jive with and people that were, you know, really touch your life and help you moving forward. And that's okay. We don't have to feel this soul connection with every single person that we meet. But I, I do believe that we need to do our part. Yeah. You know, and and being good neighbors and and getting out there and just trying, ministering, you know. The Lord knows how to do this. He's like, I'm going to help you guys get out of your house, and I would like you to minister. Isn't that the truth? Start with ministering, yeah. Well, I hope that helps. And I'm really looking forward to meeting a lot more of the sisters. I feel like I'm getting there. So it'll be good. We have a great ward with great people in it. So that, I hope that helps a little bit. For sure, Bonnie. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your talents. I love you as a Relief Society <laughs> teacher. And I've loved getting to know you and play games and, and the interactions that we've had. And and I love that even though you didn't get it, a degree in your broadcasting. Oh, in communications. I'm like, I, actually I, know, <laughs> I happen to know. You um, have a degree. I've got, I a little bit of a, got I've got a little bit of an insider on the Richards family over there. And I, I know that, that she has a smart enough husband that they can have some pretty serious intellectual debates over there and <laughs> conversations. And she can have those with her kids too. And I just think My it all husband, worked out. Everyone needs to get to know Phil. And it's he's a little bit harder to talk to because he's not as social as I am. But when you do, you are better for it. Like when, when you have a conversation with him, he's the best. Like he literally is just... He's smart. He's funny. He just has so much going for him. So, I yeah. knew I knew she was going to do this, Michelle. <laughs> do you know what? That darn Phil Richards has the biggest cheerleader in Bonnie, and they're they they must be crazy in love because she still has that sparkle in her eye talking about him right this I very know, minute. It kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I think, I think he kind of tinkles her chime. Well, I'll tell you what, though, he treats me better than I deserve. Like he is just Aww. good to me. Oh, well, we're we're not going to end on this, even though this is very sweet. <laughs> I told you when I asked you to do this podcast a long time ago that you had to tell the Tiffany story. Oh, stop Yay! it! Please tell, okay. please we're just gonna, tell the we're Tiffany end story on a really for a laugh. Funny, a funny note. This just kind of helps you to understand yes, Phil just a little bit we, more, and it's just precious. We had a really funny experience happen to us, and I can't even remember telling you this. So I'm trying to remember how you even knew. We we hold that story in uh, in reserve for special people. So everyone yes. everyone is now considered special yes. to hear our Tiffany's story. So when we were moving to California, we um, 
we had to rent a little house. And I told that in my Relief Society lesson. And we had to be in this rental for about three months. And we were doing everything we could to save money for our down payment. Because buying a house in California, you know, you you got to put it quite a bit down. So we were saving money and saving money. But it was a stressful time. And Phil was traveling back to California a lot because he'd already started working. And Anyway, we t- our anniversary was coming up, and we had decided that we were not going to do anything big for our anniversary. We would maybe just go to dinner, but we weren't going to do an overnight stay or any major gifts. We just were putting all of our money toward the house. And he came home from work in Charlotte to the rental house, and he said, you know, how's your day? How's everything going? I said, oh, it's good. And our anniversary was literally in a few days. So it wasn't like it was far off. And he said, oh, hey, by the way, I got something for you. And he leans down into his computer bag and he pulls out this Tiffany's box. And it's um, about, I don't know, four or five inches wide, maybe three inches, four or five inches long, three inches wide. It looks like it's the size of maybe a tennis bracelet or something. And I just, I, I mean, I was like over the moon and I said, oh my gosh, Phil, I'm so happy. I, we said we weren't going to do anything, but you recognized how hard that, you know, you've been traveling and the kids, you know, just, I was like, oh, you did you felt something. so validated. Yes. And- I was like, you actually didn't see through that facade and still went and bought something for me anyway. And I just was like, so like, just over the moon, excited for what was going to be in this box. And I could tell that he was kind of backpedaling a little bit as soon as... Th- You've seen that goofy, you know, on a Disney movie where he jumps off into the swimming pool and then he kind of goes back up. Yeah. I felt like he was kind of like, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. You know, like he kind of had that look in his eye. But I was just like, nothing could be better in this moment. <laughs> this is how you show true appreciation. I was like, you know that I have been sacrificing this house as cockroaches. <laughs> and half of my stuff is in storage. I can't even find it. And we're moving. It's stressful. So I go to open this box, just so excited. And there's this case. And so I get into the case. <laughs> we'll have to email a picture. There is a leather keychain. <laughs> It is just this leather strap, and it has a little sterling silver button, and it says Tiffany Co. on it, you know? And I just looked at him, and I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You went to Tiffany's, and you bought me a (laughs) keychain? Like, out of everything there, that's what you decided to get me? Like, wow, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Did he pick it? Is no, that- it, he just was like, stop it right now. He, a vendor had come to work of, and I had some. What, yeah. And so he was like, oh, hey, your wife's going to love this. Take this home to her. And so we've talked now and laughed about it. But he, I said, you really missed the opportunity. You could have bought a tennis bracelet on like Overstock or something, stuck it in that box. Oh, and I'd have been goodness. none the wiser. <laughs> you know, would have given him all the credit in the world. So anyway, we just laugh. And I still have it up in my my room that my my big box from Tiffany's was just this keychain. That's like It was still probably like $150. Let's be honest. You know, this keychain was made from all the all the greatest materials ever, but it was, it was just the way it was kind of presented in a time of life where we had a lot going on. And I thought, Oh, you bought me this present. So who felt more, more silly after well, you had, had this I felt beautiful. validated. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
was he red or was he like, I think he um, probably realized he should have started the conversation with, hey, there was a vendor at work (laughs) instead of, hey, I got this for you, (laughs) you know, because it kind of for that, you know, your mind goes to pretty quickly to a place of like, oh, you spoiled me. A bracelet. Yes. It was a bracelet box. He has actually since bought me a tennis bracelet, so we're all good. <laughs> Made up for last time. I know. But oh. yeah, I know. It was just really funny, one of those moments where you weren't quite on the same page, but I have the best leather keychain that you could imagine. <laughs> you can't ever use it, but you've got it's it. It's still in the box. <laughs> it hey, comes out every once in counts. a while for special <laughs> occasions. I should probably carry it more than I do. But it was really funny. But we just lots of good stories, lots of good laughs, lots of good memories. And we're excited about making more memories here and Mm -hmm. more stories and, you know, all the good years we're going to have here. So, yeah, good things. No more moves, Bonnie. No more moves. I can't guarantee uh, no more moves, but I think my what my goal is, I think we would like to keep this house and then do little destination jobs like maybe let one of our kids stay in it for a little while and take a job for like a year in a place that we think is amazing Phil's always wanted to be a professor or something or do consulting so at the time when you don't have to work anymore but you kind of choose to do something like wouldn't it be great to be an adjunct professor at BYU Hawaii Mm, and do everything there is to do there and then come back or go to New York City and, you know, he can be a consultant. And that's, that's the great thing about being an engineer and having an MBA is you know a lot about a lot of things. And a nurse can work anywhere too. So I, I th- could see some of that in our future where we might take some destination jobs for short periods of time. Maybe when my kids could use the help with housing. And so keep this house but potentially live a few other places. I'd, I'd go overseas too. I'd go some other places. It just, I've had too many experiences in good places to feel like I don't want to have those ever again. So mm-hmm. I'd like to still have some, but I don't know if I want to call it forever. So maybe I'll keep you posted. Yeah, but so far it's five states and counting. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks. And everybody go to Bonnie's house for amazing brownies. Right. And or come go to find Margaret's her on a walk. For lemonade and go to Margaret's and for and lemonade. We'll, we'll have a progressive, yes, progressive dessert dinner. And we'll that do something gluten free for you. That sounds great. This <laughs> has been so fun. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me.